0: In the beginning
1: was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. Welcome to Light of the Southwest. My name is Lonnie Poindexter and I'm your host today. Immediately to my left is Miss Amy Cooper of Light of the Southwest and GLC TV, God's Learning Channel. And to my right is Reverend Ralph J. Chittam Sr., who traveled all the way from Washington, D.C. to be on the show today. Welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank it, you. Indeed, a pleasure having you join us here um, on God's Learning Channel. Light of the Southwest is a well, it's the, uh, in my opinion, the anchor show for the network. Uh, we go about bringing forth God's truth um, to a nation who is ever in need to hear that truth. Would you not agree, Amy?
2: Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And the best thing about Light of the Southwest is it connects our audience from coast to coast, actually people around the world, Yes. Um, to ministries, and of late, people who are doing things because God created them in their mother's womb to stand up and declare the righteousness of God and what His Word has to say, and Reverend Chittums is a really good example of that.
1: I say all the time concerning uh, my good friend, Reverend Chittums, that he is literally the intersection between faith and public policy having formal training and background and advanced degrees in both uh, religion and the public square. Governance. Absolutely. Um, I spent my undergraduate
0: years at Howard University, um, the Mecca, HU, had to get the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got a degree in political science. And then after that, I, I have a Master's of Biblical Studies from the Maple Springs Baptist Bible College and Seminary okay. and a Master of Divinity from the Liberty Baptist theological seminary so yes my house is built squarely in the intersection of faith and public policy you know that's
1: something you and i talk about all the time is we look to poke and prod and encourage the Mm faith-based community and specifically pastors Mm -hmm. that they must be salt and light and lead the charge i call them god's field generals here on this rock we live on called earth and when the pastoral community stands up in and salt and light, in every facet of society, and most importantly, in the halls of governance, we can be about the change that we seek. But oftentimes, Pastor, and we talk about this often, is that um, they're reticent to do that. They're, tim- they're timid. Um, I don't want to run my congregation off. know things are going well now or well um, in the case of of one particular pastor I know I don't want to raise and speak up because well my wife has a sense of position in what she does and if I say something it could cause problems for her
0: well all of that may well be true but the question that has to be asked of all of us especially someone who claims to be a pastor is in whom do you put your trust yes do you put your trust in man or do you put your trust in God do you believe that you know my god will provide everything that i need mm-hmm. do you believe that your god is the god of the thousand cattle on a thousand hills do, do you believe that he will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory or are you trusting that you know the guy in the third world of the church is going to keep writing his tithing check so that you can keep the lights on so do you trust god or do you trust man and that's the question that's the foundation question to all of this. When you have pastors who say that they're afraid to speak up, the question is, okay, then in whom do you put your trust? Whom do you put your
1: trust? And at the end of the day, we know where we must put our trust.
2: You know, that ties directly into the scriptures that talk about how unhappy the king of the universe is over the, sh- the shepherds misleading the sheep. Mm. And...
0: The description verse is woe to the shepherds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Woe. Woe. Right. And that doesn't mean doesn't woe like, as in, as in as horsey, horsey stops. I know, I know I'm in Texas, but it's not that kind of woe. <laughs> <laughs> this is, um, you're about to catch a serious beatdown. Mm-hmm. Woe, W-O-E, mm-hmm. to the shepherds.
2: That's right. And you would think that they would, um, I don't know, take that seriously.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I do. Mm-hmm. But I also... I really realize that a a lot of them not only are they afraid that they're going to lose the support from their congregation which has happened. Yes. Mm -hmm. And pastors have been kicked out for speaking the truth. But it's more than that. It's that there's not enough of them uh, in, in front of the nation standing up together and so that causes fear in them too Mm -hmm. that they're you know there's nothing sadder to me than seeing someone who is a leader in the nation of of some type who when they come under attack from people who don't love God people who say they love God Mm -hmm. but you can tell that they don't when they come under attack where's the church
0: well another interesting part of all of this there's a huge network of conservative pastors in this country Mm -hmm. i mean huge huge there is a concerted effort to silence and mute us and not give us a public forum right you will not see us on mainstream media Mm -hmm. you will see one or two of us on cnn and then it's It's an attempted hit piece. Yes, exactly. But you are not going to get fair reporting in the mainstream media from any of the alphabet network. You know, the ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC. You're not going to get a fair and true representation of conservative pastors speaking to issues, speaking from a biblical standpoint. You're not going to see that because they don't want us to be seen. That's right. they, they'd rather put these charlatans and frauds in front of the people mm-hmm. who feed the people garbage.
2: Who feed them the narrative that they want to feed them.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. So it, it's not that there's not enough of us. It's just that there's a concerted effort to, silence to make sure that our voices aren't heard. And that's why places like GLC yes. um, become so important because, you know, some of your viewers until this minute, they're like, oh, who is this Ralph Chittum's dude? Well, now they're going to have a chance to hear me. They'll go out into social media. And everybody has a Facebook page. Everybody has a website. And now all of a sudden, it won't be just me that they've been exposed to. They're going to now get exposed to all of the other pastors mm-hmm. that are in my network. And they're going to say, wow, where do all these guys come from? Exactly. And so, you know, GLC is, is a wonderful um, tool and a mechanism. Getting these messages out. That's so true.
2: Well, you know, um, not too awfully long ago, uh, Urban Family Radio mm-hmm. closed down, mm-hmm. and the reason they closed down is because they were not getting the support that they needed, right? Well, it takes bucks to run something like this, and the thing so, okay. is, is so, it, so with, let, let's without do that without that support, okay, you're hey. not you're
0: not gonna have this anymore. Yeah. Okay, let, let's do this. Can I have the camera on me for a second, ladies and gentlemen? This is Reverend Ralph J. Chidham, Sr. I am here in the studios of GLC TV. If you appreciate what you see and what you hear on this network, understand that it takes more than just faith to make this happen. It takes your support. It takes your prayers and it takes your dollars. So I'm going to ask you to pray and then make a donation to this ministry so that we can keep getting this information out to you, so that our voices won't be silent, that the voice of Christ can be heard, that the message of the Gospel will be transmitted across the airwaves. Thank you. (laughs) Just so
2: everybody knows, I did not even know he was going to do that, much less pay him to do that. Okay, so, and, I, and I'm not getting a cut. <laughs> so before I came over here today, this is very interesting. And thank you, by the way. Very much, thank you. Lonnie and I had this conversation some time back. The reason why it's so important that people are supporting things like this is that when this, you can't just go to the supermarket and buy a television station Mm -hmm. you can't Mm -hmm. and there are things that a television broadcaster can do that nobody else in the nation can do Mm -hmm. period but you have this license for this station that's what i mean you can't go to the market and buy Uh one of those there are very few of them yes and if they fall out of the hands of the Christian community. There you go. They're going to the secular community. That's correct. And we will never get them back. That's how important it is. And just today, I haven't even told you about this because this happened right before I came out. Mm. I talked to a woman in Pennsylvania who owns a television station up there. She has no support. Mm. And, And she's like, I have put, everything for years and years and years into this and I don't want this place to go secular Mm -hmm. it takes the Christian community to make sure that the few places that we do have where we can have the voice of the church heard in this nation that they don't get taken away Absolutely, so it's, On point. it's super important.
1: On point, because there's a concerted effort taking place within the secular community to do exactly that, mm-hmm. to commandeer the stations. Um, they know that we're financially up against it because we're listener-supported, and they are supported by their major sponsorships and advertisers mm-hmm. and what have you. And um, they're coming after the faith-based community and, and, and to get these. And I'm learning from you and others that um, I've sat with counsel that... Um, like you said, you just going to go to the market and buy one of these. It's not like I'm going to buy a television station. I oh, wonder how all, much one of those costs. Thank you. A lot. A lot, and the right types of contacts, and jump through the right types of, ho- mm-hmm. of hoops mm-hmm. to even get in position to acquire one. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they go out and acquire, especially Christian stations, if they go defunct, they snap them up. That's right. They snap them up and pull them in there. And we saw. I saw this. Even um, as I was doing broadcasting with Urban, as we had stations in outlying areas, and we had lease agreements with these stations, and um, the leases would expire um, or the ownership would change. And then once the ownership would change and have nothing against our Latino brothers and sisters out there, but the station would go Latino. Or any other um, uh, market targeted because the resources were there to make it happen.
2: Well, leases, Mm -hmm. when you're when you're leasing from someone to do something, guess what? They don't want your message going out, they're not gonna lease their station to you. Ah, uh, Correct? Correct.
1: That is exactly so correct. So
2: they have their ways of stopping the gospel.
1: It's like we are, yep. uh, I think of Gideon. Um, in the natural, we're outgunned, they have more money, they have more resources. Um, the public is largely ignorant about what's really going on and they just move like a steamroller except, just as with Gideon and him thinking he needed thousands and thousands and thousands of warriors to get the job done, if God's on our side, what did he need? He ended up with 300, and they laid sway to the enemy. But we do have to participate. We do have to step up. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to what you said earlier, Pastor Chittums, that the faith-based community in viewer-supported television as a media idiom. It's you out there. It's you out there that have to step up and support the ministry to keep it going forward to get the messaging um, out to the community to know. Uh, You've got to mobilize the troops, and they first need to know where the enemy is and what he's up to and what he's doing. Christian news and media outlets do that.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, so both of you gentlemen live in Washington, D.C. The swamp. You live in the swamp. <laughs> so your take on things is a whole lot different than, say, somebody who lives in the Midwest. Mm-hmm even someone who lives in Texas. You're seeing in a much clearer way exactly what mainstream media is doing. Yes, yes. When they're like bashing the things that uh, President Trump is doing, calling everybody a racist mm-hmm. when it has nothing to do with racism. Nothing. We have a big spiel going on right now over Baltimore. What a joke. Mm-hmm.
1: It's all misinformation.
2: All misinformation. It's
1: all. It's and crazy. It is. And, um, you know, we had two former guests on Light of the Southwest. They were at our nation's capital meeting with the president. And that um, Reverend Dean Nelson mm-hmm. and Dr. Alvita King were both there, in addition to others that are in our pastor's network that are bold enough to step out and speak truth and participate mm-hmm. in that intersection between mm-hmm. faith and public policy. That's how you bring about the change. And you get an audience with the president. You take that. Let me mention to you that um, one of my spiritual fathers, I mentioned to you, the pastor out of Sacramento. Mm-hmm. He was at the White House yesterday mm-hmm. for the meeting. I got the text over the weekend. Hey, Brother Lonnie, pray for me. Meeting with the president on Monday. He didn't say even what it was about. But I saw the news pop up yesterday. Okay, and exactly so I got to tell
2: you why I'm like super excited about all of this mm-hmm. and, and the connection that, that God made that's so strong. Because while they're throwing all of this racism crap,
1: mm-hmm.
2: I'm sorry, excuse me.
1: Well, sometimes that's what it is.
2: That's, that's right. <laughs> when they're throwing all of that, at everybody and Mm -hmm. saying it's this it's this it's this it's super important that the people who would be suffering from that Mm -hmm. are standing up and going no that's not right so
0: and and that's what's happening in baltimore exactly Uh, i I was born and raised in new york city Um,
2: so we have our own new yorker
0: right you have your own own brash brash new yorker Yorker. (laughs) Uh, and i moved to washington dc when i went to college um, you know, met my future wife there, um, got married and stayed, but I have spent every summer of my youth from let's say like eight, six or eight years of age to 17 in West Baltimore. I know West Baltimore. I know it well. I have relatives still that live in West Baltimore. Um, when I was growing up and staying in West Baltimore, I stayed two blocks North of the intersection where they burned out that CVS pharmacy. During the Mm. riots. During the riots. Right. So, I know West Baltimore. What President Trump said about West Baltimore and what Bernie Sanders said about West Baltimore back in 2015 are all true. Mm -hmm. There are sections of West Baltimore that look like third world countries there's entire blocks, neighborhoods in West Baltimore that are boarded up and abandoned. Mm -hmm. There's this one block, I have a relative who lives on this block, on both sides of the street, maybe five people still live in this block. Instead of going in and trying to do something with those residents, the city is coming in through eminent domain is buying the houses out from underneath those lifelong residents, kicking them out, and they're going to turn that whole neighborhood over to developers. Crony capitalism. Right. So what President Trump said is true. What Bernie Sanders said is true. But how come Bernie Sanders wasn't accused of being a racist mm-hmm. when he said that West Baltimore looks like a third world country mm-hmm. that's been bombed out? Mm-hmm. See, this whole... This I know when I try to not to get into politics too deeply in shows like this, but what we have is one party who only has victimology on their side as, as any hope of trying to win. You're oppressed, you're downtrodden, it's somebody else's fault, we're going to tell you who did it. You know, you're the victim, it's racism. These people have been living in Baltimore under this one-party rule since the 1960s. That's right. The same argument can be made for Detroit, for... Chicago. Chicago, for Washington, D.C. St. Louis. F- yeah. One-party one rule, two and a half, three generations, and these places look like third-world countries. But you're going to blame somebody else. No, why don't you blame the people who are in charge? Mm-hmm. And and I love what President Trump is doing. Mm-hmm. And and it's, what's funny is, and the only way I can say it is to be bluntly, white people are cracking me up now. Mm-hmm. Because it's gotten to the point where you're all like, I'm a racist? OK, fine, yeah, I'm a racist. But your neighborhood still stinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the sting of being called a racist has been removed. Right. They've used I've it been too accused much. of being yes. a racist. Mm-hmm. I, I thought black people couldn't be racist because we didn't have access to the linchpins of power we that allow someone to impose their bigoted views on someone else. Right. But see, that's different because I'm a Christian conservative who generally supports the president. Now I can be a racist. Oh, so now everybody can be a racist. Okay, if everybody's a racist, then nobody's a racist. Mm-hmm. So let's just take that whole argument off the table take that word let's you know retire it to the to the dustbin of history and let's deal with the issues that we have at hand mm-hmm. let's deal with the fact that in the 1960s you had only 30% of black households headed by single mothers mm-hmm. why is it now it's over 70% mm-hmm. and in some communities it's 90 yes let's deal with the fact that reliance on food stamps and AFDC and WIC and all these other government programs has exploded since the 1960s, since there has been a systematic effort by the government to remove fathers from the homes and replace fathers with big daddy government. Mm -hmm. So let's stop talking about racism and let's start talking about reversing some of these policies which have completely decimated and destroyed the family. Now we're talking about, you know, generally urban America, but the poorest, of, the poorest communities in this country, are 100% white. Mm-hmm. That's a that's Rome. a statistical fact. Appalachia, Appalachia, up around the ridges. Yes, there is the only black person you see in that community is somebody who got lost, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have the same dysfunctions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Single, single mothers mm-hmm. abject poverty mm-hmm. drug abuse mm-hmm. so clearly the issue isn't racism it's race. what's the issue but as long as you can have people fighting over something foolish like racism you will never get to the root cause of the problem which will allow everyone's ship to be raised by a rising tide amen
2: you know when you realize that the government handouts are really harming not helping it makes you real grateful when you have an administration who is working to get people back to work and off of all the government handouts mm-hmm. because you realize that it is not just a dead end it's a
1: it's, it's a death trap it is yes.
2: exactly exactly and as the church we know from scripture, that you have to have that father in that household. He represents God. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, church, why aren't we as the church standing up and going, do something about this? Because this has got to stop. Because we've got to do something that actually corrects the problem, not
0: makes it worse, so. Okay, well, I'm not a senior pastor. I'm on staff at a church, so I'm not the big guy. I don't sit in a big chair. But the problem that we have is show me in the Bible. Show me in the Bible the scripture verse where Jesus tells government officials to take care of the poor, yes, to take care of the homeless, mm-hmm. to take care of the widow, to take care of the orphan. Show me that scripture verse. Who is instructed to provide those services? Church, the church okay. We, if the church doesn't do it and a vacuum is created, something or someone has to fill it, right? Yeah, it's gonna get sucked in, yeah. and it got sucked in yeah. by big daddy government. Yeah, mm-hmm. but when big daddy government steps in, they come in with rules and regulations. Mm-hmm. Now, what we're seeing now with the disintegration of the nuclear family, understand this didn't start in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. This started way back in the 1930s. How do I know? Because I know know older women who were social workers back in the 30s, and they were instructed when they did their home visits to look for the presence of men in those homes. And if there was a male, if there was evidence that a man was present in that home, that woman would lose her benefits. Mm So this started way back in the 30s, gained steam, and found its full voice in the the 1960s. Yes. And from 1960s forward, you have seen the systematic destruction of the nuclear family patriarchy. Mm -hmm. You've seen the rise of Mm hyperfeminism, which has, again, taken the the male headship and said, we don't need a man. Mm -hmm. We're going to do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. And it has completely destroyed communities from from you know and a coast lot the coast.
2: it's like we were talking last night and you told a story about a guy who was basically set up mm-hmm. and paid a really high price for that and when his daughter saw the price her father paid mm-hmm. for what she did. Mm-hmm. Um, she told the truth, but they still carried out the sentence with him. Yeah. And I'm like, we just have no idea what is literally going on in our justice system on things. So Ralph and I about got into it last night when we first met, right? And he's talking about, because I know what the Bible says about if uh, if you're killing somebody then you need to be taken out. God knows I think all pedophiles should be taken out.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: However, Ralph kind of changed my mind on that <laughs> once I listened to him. So talk about the death penalty from your, from your point of view because it's valid. Right. Once, once I started really thinking about that, I'm like,
0: you're right. Well, this is part of my, my, my faith journey. You know, my, my personal development.
2: Because you used to be hardcore death penalty. Oh, too, I was correct? hardcore
0: death penalty. And you know, I told you last night, you know, I, I was of the school. You know, why are my tax dollars paying to keep all these losers alive? You know, you give me one dollar on a plane ticket and I'll fly across the country to every federal prison and I'll flip the switch on every last one of them for free. I mean, that's how hardcore I was on the death penalty. But then um, the, the whole issue of life started to, to bubble up inside mm-hmm. of me. Mm-hmm. And, and it started, of course, with abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God is the giver of life. And, and he, well, this is sort of a segue, a, a side note, and it doesn't matter how that life begins, mm-hmm. that life is sacred. Mm-hmm. Because in the church we teach yeah, that right, it yeah. doesn't matter if the child is born into a family or to a single mother, that child is still to be loved and nurtured by the church mm-hmm. and not to be ostracized right. mm-hmm. because of the, the, the family into which that child is born. Mm-hmm. Well, if that's true, then it's also true that it doesn't matter how that child is conceived. Mm-hmm. That child's life is valuable, whether that life was conceived in love or whether that life was conceived in rape. Mm-hmm. Now, that's tough.
1: But it's it,
2: tough, but man, there are a lot of stories about some really dynamically powerful people in the right. kingdom.
1: Some of the best stories. Yeah.
2: Right.
0: right. So so all of this was happening with me on the front end, mm-hmm. you know, dealing with life and abortion mm-hmm. at the front end. And then one night I got that tap on my shoulder and was like, so how do you reconcile that with being so pro-death penalty? I'm like, What? <laughs> you know, God has a way of sneaking up on you. Mm-hmm. And then I had to sit back and I started thinking about okay, well, all life comes from God. All life is a gift from God. Well, the only person who can take a gift is Him, is the person who gave the gift. Mm-hmm. So, what right do we have to take someone's life prematurely? And then I started thinking about the statistical facts that we know that there have been hundreds, if not thousands, of people executed in this country, and then we find out that the person didn't do it.
2: And that is what got me. I'm like, yeah, you know what, I never thought about that, but you have these guys, they've spent 20, 30 years in prison.
1: You're finding it, and you find it most descriptive and most often in an environment where government has run amok. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not because folks are solidly conservative and christian that they're just flipping the switch Mm -hmm. no it's in those environments Mm -hmm. where you have government run amok and and anybody's been on the negative side of dealing with government running running amok you'll see um all the instances where they miss it and what you find out is that they miss it and they don't care that they missed it exactly like in the case of the gentleman i mentioned to you who was caught up in the system because his daughter lied Mm -hmm. and they still made that man go through programs because i said this is all about revenue generation. Right. Mm-hmm. And but, so you have to understand that if that's what's taking place, people of faith have to step up and participate in public policy. I'm talking about everything from the dog catchers, as you like to say, to the city councilmen, to the judges, and everybody in between on up to the national level to be the conscience of our nation so that we can have an environment where we're showing true compassion. Because otherwise what you're gonna end up getting is a whole lot of folks, I just saw one recently, guy spent 20 years in, in, there's a movie coming out um, in Hollywood, every once in a while they get it right. You're talking
0: about Brian Hawkins? Yeah. The football player. But but also, if you are an American of African ancestry, Mm -hmm. you know the history (laughs) of this country Mm -hmm. where strange fruit Mm -hmm was hung from trees Mm -hmm. based upon an unsubstantiated, unsupported allegation Mm -hmm. that he did something to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how can then anybody who's an American Mm -hmm. of African ancestry especially co-sign onto the death penalty, knowing that we could fill up this television studio Mm -hmm. 10 times over with black men who have been killed by the government because somebody lied about them and said that they did X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it it was all, and then of course, me, I'm a conservative, I'm a small government guy. I want the least amount of government intrusion in my life as possible. I'm a constitutionalist. That's the way it's supposed to be. How much more big government can you get when the government kills somebody Mm -hmm. how more intrusive can the government be into your life than taking it away from you especially when you did nothing especially when there's a possibility and and and, uh, and trust me i get it um you know epstein and his lolita flights and pedophile island and the rest of these guys it's hard for me to maintain this belief that the death penalty is wrong because there, there is evil in this world and there well, are evil people in this world.
2: Yeah, okay, so last night I asked you to tell me what motivated you. What is it that drives your passion? And man, mm. you didn't even hesitate on that. And it was over abortion. But you didn't really tell me the story what happened with that it's
0: i don't, it was i was always raised in and around the church. i was raised catholic okay roman catholic okay you know pretty the,
2: pro-life
0: right and as in most people when you get older you walk away from it mm-hmm. and you know you get out into the world and you you have a good time you you do your thing and in my late 20s you know that that scripture verse you know, train up a child in the way that he should go and when he was older. Well, all of a sudden I had that come to Jesus moment mm-hmm. where, where you're standing out there in the road and you have to make a choice. Either you go back to where you came from, where you belong, or you keep going down that road that's gonna lead to death and destruction. And I made the choice. And when I made the choice, it was a choice that you, you don't come back from it.
3: Mm
0: -hmm. Either, (laughs) here's another one of my personal theologies. If you're going to live a life that's going to take you to hell, make it a good one. And just ride the train. Make it worth it, if you can. Right, make it worth it. But if you're going to live a life of righteousness and you're going to be seeking after God's face and you're going to be trying to know, sanctify yourself on a daily basis, then don't play with that either.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's either all or nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, that's, that's it. And so I decided, okay, like the prodigal son, it's time for me to come back home. Mm-hmm. And from that point forward, it's been sort of a, a, a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. And it has cost me some friends. It has cost me some elections. It has, you know, cost me some jobs. But what profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Mm -hmm. So that really, you know, and I've been married now for 35 years. I'm the husband of one wife. One married once, never divorced. We have four great kids. They're all grown. Um, We have a granddaughter. And I just want to be the best example that I can be. Of a husband, father, grandfather, your pastor, community leader, and and that transcends politics. It's it, a, it's
1: about being salt and light. Yeah, and and we were discussing this um, as a man and as a parent and a husband. Um, the passion and understanding that you want to do something that will leave legacy. You want to do something. You want to be able to say, when my time is up and I leave this earthly plane, I did something that would make it better for my children and my children's children. You know, that's scriptural, amen. Mm-hmm. Um, so when those things get honed into you, that stirs you on, propels you, it, and, and keeps that passion going. And then when you see the the atrocities that take place in terms of the misdirection of the populace of this great nation and redefining of our history, it stirs me up. I, I, he knows I, I get angry. You know I'm not the brash New Yorker. I'm the laid-back California guy. And so he and I. He Tell and you I
2: get mad? Yeah,
1: he and I are great, <laughs> great friends, and yet yeah, we're polar opposite in terms of how we typically deal. But the one thing that get us both rankled up in, in, are these issues, and because you see what's going on, you see what's taking place, and you understand if you do nothing, nothing gets done. And, like, oh, man, it's all going to hell in a handbasket. Well, it certainly will if people of faith don't stand up. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take even a whole lot of us. It takes that remnant to stand up and say, God, here I am, use me. And when that takes place, and I share all the time uh, when I do radio, the most amazing things will take place, the most amazing associations. Having a chance to meet you is because of that. Mm -hmm. Having a chance to meet you is because of that. And connect with people that I, I still pinch myself when I can tell folks, I actually do- know Dr. Alveda King. <laughs> you know, now when I met her, I was a bumbling idiot and trying to introduce myself, and she we still laugh about that. Um, I had this eloquent thing planned out, what I was going to say, and pleasure meeting you and your family, and I look up and da-da-da-da-da-da, and I just get you're her you know it's you <laughs> you know and the only thing that come out of my mouth was boy those king jeans uh, sure run strong because there's a striking resemblance between her and her uncle you know but the, all of them look very much alike for obvious reasons and um i never would have imagined that 15 years ago not even 10 years ago but because of having the passion for wanting to take a stand for Christ God has opened doors that I never could have he will, yeah he will, I mean I did two years you know, on the
0: battlefield um, literally right on on a on TV one um on the number one black um, political talk show in the nation In the nation hosted wow. by Roland Martin mm-hmm. and so I would come on the show on a on a regular basis you know as a sacrificial conservative lamb yes. There and war. I would do battle. There we are oh, there, <laughs> exactly, and I and I would do battle with, as you can see there. It's 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 five against one. Yeah. Yeah. And how was that fair? Was that <laughs> how it, was that fair? It wasn't. Oh, it, oh, it was completely fair because they needed ten. <laughs> <laughs> Be, uh, because this, we have a secret weapon. We have the truth. Yes. That's right. And truth will will turn on the lights and when the lights come on darkness disappears mm-hmm.
2: you know you can call somebody a racist all day long mm-hmm. but it doesn't change the truth
0: no right and, and that and that's what's killing this argument in baltimore right because you have people who live in baltimore now i call them the rank and file people right you know not not the politicians not the mm-hmm. elites but the people who are forced to live there. to live there right stepping up and saying you know he's right. He's
1: right. Mm-hmm. And the he is President Trump. Yep. Mm-hmm. But they'll never get on the news, except for Christian news and media outlets mm-hmm. and, social like media. GLC and social media. And social media, which is why they're shadow banning us on social media. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I get notices every day of somebody that's been kicked off. Wow. Um, Danine Borelli, completely demonetized by Facebook and Google just recently.
2: It's really amazing what is going on in big tech mm-hmm. behind the scenes on that. So mm-hmm. something's going to happen.
0: But that just goes yeah. to show you how effective we are. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. See, if, if we were ineffective, we would be ignored. Mm-hmm. All I right. mean a uh,
2: Case in point then, since you're, you want to bring this up and they're banning this and they're mm-hmm. banning that. That's all Internet. Mm-hmm. Correct?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: It's all Internet. Mm-hmm.
2: When we were talking at the beginning of the show about... Things that a television broadcaster can do that no one else in this nation can do. They can ban us on Facebook and YouTube and everything else all day long. It doesn't matter. I can still get the message out
1: mm-hmm. because right.
2: I'm a broadcaster.
1: Right now you can't. But right see, now. They're, they're connecting the two together. Mm-hmm. There's, it's becoming seamless between social media and traditional broadcasting. They're trying. And then as you stated, Emily, they're buying up stations. Amy. Do
2: I look like Emily?
1: Did I say Emily? Yes, you she did. did. I sure did. It's been that day today.
2: <laughs> He's tired. He's been recording I all said, day long. That's funny.
1: I said, Elijah Project four times, taping through the show earlier. So, so forgive me, folks. So
2: <laughs> that's why I'm like, you know what? We've got to have every bit of financial backing yes. behind us that we can get because we're going to be fighting that stuff. Mm-hmm. We're already getting the word out. Mm-hmm. That other people are fighting that stuff. Yes. You know, people like Prager you Dennis yes. Prager, and what an incredible voice that
0: is. And people need to understand that yeah, it's it's great to have someone who can sit down and write a million dollar check. Mm-hmm.
2: That's not who pays the bills here.
0: Mm-mm. But it's more important for the person who can only afford to send ten dollars a month. Exactly. To send that ten dollars. Honestly, I, I would rather have a million dollars coming from a million people exactly. sending me one dollar That's right. than a million dollar check being written by one person. Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: Because it shows that the people are behind you, that mm-hmm. they're supporting you, but it helps them. And th- that's how God set GLC up at, from mm-hmm. the very beginning. It's important that they realize that they're part of it. Yes. That we're not just on TV Mm
3: -hmm.
2: you're they're part of everything that we do
0: and um, that's important it's part of the community it's that's how you build the army Mm -hmm. that's right and and this is this is the fight that we're in for the heart and soul of this country Mm -hmm. I mean it literally it, 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 it sounds almost like hyperbole but we are in a fight for the heart and soul of America. Do we want this country to become a bastion of socialism, a bastion of communism, or do we want this country to, to remain the land of the free and the home of the
1: brave? You know what? Shining city on a hill.
2: One of the, the things that's really ironic to me is that they are, well, they're coming right out now. And saying, "Yeah, I'm a socialist, and mm-hmm. this is what we're go- going for, and this and that." Mm-hmm. But the the people who are getting behind them, who who don't understand anything about socialism, are going to be the hardest hit ones, first. You know, yes. you're talking about uh, talk about the urban community. They're already in a a not good position, by and large. What happens? When that socialism comes in yeah you know? and it's oh and they really care about you that's why they want the socialism so that everybody will be on an even footing there'll be nobody to help anybody else it will be the end of the church being able to help anyone else they've
1: you know? been the test market for mm-hmm. socialism they've been the guinea pig thank you i like to use the term the uh the canary in the mine shaft. Yep for what happens with um, socialism. I remember in a conversation with uh, Dr. Patrick Fagan of the Mari Institute at uh, Heritage Foundation, who talked about, and he's a subject matter expert, he's written many books, and it really educated me. He said, Lonnie, because um, I asked him, he says, why do you care so much about what happens in urban communities? Well, he's from Ireland. He says, I saw what they did in Ireland. I said, really? He says, oh yeah, that's what that was all about over there. He says, so I saw what was coming down the pike here, he says, and Lonnie, here's what's interesting. He said, when you think about it, slavery did not break the black community. No, it didn't. I said, really? He said, no, think about it. Yeah, as horrible as it was, and chattel slavery was, but the black community rebounded from it. Mm-hmm. If you read the true history of what took place during Reconstruction, the first black senators and congressmen and and mayors and sheriffs and... Business people and creating um, where where blacks couldn't assimilate, starting their own institutions of higher learning, their own denominations, mm-hmm. and the community grew in spite of. And he said, "Here's the deal: when black families were separated during slavery, guess what happened after slavery during Reconstruction?" I said, "What's that?" Doctor Figgins said, "They reunited." Mm-hmm. And then he recounted the story of Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass's wife was a slave. He escaped. Well, as soon as slavery was over, he went and found his wife and they reunited. So that took place all throughout the nation, in particularly, in, particularly in the South. And the dynamic and the numbers that you spoke about with the, that 70-30 thing was in the reverse. Predominantly black families were intact. In fact, during, if I remember correctly, during the, um, um, the financial collapse um, on Wall Street, and during the uh, the 1930s, Black Friday, uh, that the, part. The the um. Oh, you
0: talking about the the, the market crash? The market the crash? crash. That was a Black Friday. Yeah, crash.
1: and Black Friday happened, and then we went into the um, the depression and all that. He said the black families were more intact mm-hmm. than our white counterparts. Mm-hmm. I said, really? He said, so if slavery and desegregation, and segregation, all those things, could not break the black family. And then you move up to the mid 1960s with the implementation of the entitlement programs. That started the trend. I saw it in the community where I grew up. It was a prominent, solid black, middle-class and upper-middle-class community. That, in the 1960s, when we moved to that community, um, you could leave your doors unlocked. The 1970s hit, and you begin to see the decline. I could count, and I've shared this, I believe, on show on your show that I could count on one hand how many divorced families were in the entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Today, I couldn't count how many are on the street where I grew up.
2: Right.
1: Too many. Mm-hmm. Too many. And so when he shared that with me, I said, oh, my God, that's the elephant in the room. That's what's really going on. Yet, you know the misdirection, Pastor, and you deal with it there in Washington, D.C., from your bully pulpit, and you deal with it here on this show. We deal with it on GLC TV. Is it getting the truth out what really took place? But a lot of people are being misled, eh, man? Well, and, and it's a control mechanism. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, And when you talk about socialism, here's something that's interesting. When you look at any socialist country, pick, pick, pick a socialist nation. Oh,
2: Venezuela, they're doing great.
0: Right. Pick, pick one. I dare you to find a leader of a socialist nation that's skinny. Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) That's That's true. The
0: people are eating dogs and eating out of trash cans. But every leader of every socialist communist country is as fat as a pig. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Socialism does very, very well. For the elites, yep. yes. for the people at the top. Socialism but and communism. But the people at the bottom are the ones who suffer.
2: Lonnie mm. and I have some, something in common, and that is that both of our fathers were in the Korean War. Mm-hmm. And when um, President Trump went over there and went to the DMZ and met Kim Jong-un, this is, we really started talking about this. Mm-hmm. And this is one war that they don't teach anything about that at all. Mm-hmm. And what's really interesting about that war is that is the war that was good versus evil, capitalism versus socialism and communism. I mean, every single thing. And North and South Korea used to be just Korea. Mm -hmm. There was just one. So you have families that are still related they can't get to each other look how south korea has flourished under capitalism yes look how devastated north korea is under communism
0: right so it's like you know you look at the satellite images yeah you know especially at night right of the korean peninsula and the north korean section it's like sparkly you know, it's like Simba you in know, The yeah. Lion King. Don't go over there, that's the Dark Lands. <laughs> you know, and, and, and South Korea is lit up like Little a Christmas tree. Christmas tree. Right. I traveled I mean, there. What, and these are the same same people, mm-hmm. same genetic makeup. Yep. That's right. Everything about these two people are identical except for the political philosophy that's right. and the economic ideology. Yes. That's right. I mean, it, there's no clearer delineation
1: of, of, of and, and, what that policy does to its and, people. And tied to the belief systems and so forth. Um, I was there two years ago, and it's just like you said, it was night and day. I didn't travel to North Korea, but to see what's taking place in South Korea, um, other than the language on the side of the buildings, it could have been any major city in, in America.
2: Well, one of the things that I also learned mm. in talking to you and researching some of that, because while you were there, I don't have any Japanese cars over there. No. Because before <laughs> before the war and before World War ii mm-hmm. which is when Korea mm-hmm. was split up, it was the Japanese who were brutal yeah. to the Korean people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so to this day they don't have nothing
3: to they do with They have not them.
1: forgotten that. Mm-hmm. I looked and uh no, I saw hondo over there, somebody correct me. You saw something that looked like a Honda. It's probably another Hyundai that you didn't know existed. <laughs> <And> I <laughs> yeah. saw nothing but Hyundais, mm-hmm. Kias, which are all owned by the same company, BMWs and Mercedes and a smattering of American iron that was over so there.
2: So, again, history is so important. Mm-hmm. And there are reasons why it's like, well, you know, David Barton's program setting the record straight American Love history in black and white it just set me off. That was it. Done. I am done with putting up with this. So we teach all kinds of American history here. Well, David Barton does. Mm -hmm. And then when you're learning stuff like this, you're realizing, you know what? Even a lot of the world history, the, the big things that have happened, like the genocides, with all these communist countries and the newspapers not covering it no. even here in America they never knew anything about what was going on with the holocaust until 1944 yeah. across America mm-hmm. well the why government is that knew. that's right the media knew they, they knew and they weren't saying anything mm-hmm. so the media has been controlling what the people know and this and that so it's really important that people start learning the world history Yes. the real world history that has been taking
1: place yes
2: it's scary
1: it's very scary it's been a concerted effort and um but thank god for technology this peer-to-peer networking you know i worked mm-hmm. in silicon valley for 20 plus years and you know i remember uh, email was some type of
0: you heard about <laughs> it and,
1: and you were considered uncool if you didn't have it because nobody had it except the cool people the cool nerds and then you look today, you have literally peer-to-peer communications in real time. Mm-hmm. That scares the bejeebers out of those who pull the levers in media and so forth mm-hmm. because now they can't control how uh, messaging gets to the people. Mm-hmm. And so what's taking place is now they've got these concerted efforts through the shadow banning and, and, and different things that they're doing. That you to don't even them. know you're banned. Exactly. Right. Hey, man, I don't see any of your messages anymore. I said, did I change brand? No, they just, they don't, they just partition it. Right. So now it's through what inbox messages, but they're even starting to work on that. You know, if you're noticing that as well. But, but, but then again, this just for us, mm-hmm.
0: this should give us oxygen mm-hmm. because it's letting us know what mm-hmm. we're doing is working. Right. Exactly. You know, an elephant has no concern about a fly on its rear end. Right. That's right. Yeah. So if we were just a fly on the rear end of an elephant, no one would be paying attention to us we are having an effect yes we are we are changing people's thought processes we are putting the truth in front of people that otherwise would not receive the truth and they are receiving the truth and they are being changed by the truth that's power you know i i often
2: say that what we see happening around us Mm
3: -hmm.
2: is the a spiritual manifestation Mm -hmm. the physical manifestation of what's happening happening spiritually Mm -hmm. because that's the way that works it happens there and then it happens here and as believers we know this right but so many people are thinking well here we are jesus is coming back and so i really don't have to do anything and i i shouldn't have to do anything anyway and we're just supposed to occupy show me that in the bible because the one thing that I that I'm, have been really focused on is that you overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, and you do not love your life unto death. Mm-hmm. That sounds a whole lot to me like God expects us to get off our duffs
0: and participate no matter what. Absolutely. I mean, Christianity is a participation sport. It Amen. is.
2: You know, we we were talking last night. Okay, I'm just gonna tell it like like it was said. Mm -hmm. Zigzag Jesus, and most people (laughs) out there our age are gonna know exactly Exactly what that is.
1: That's what I call him. Like
2: he is some laid back hippie. Yeah. Who did, you know, like
0: -hmm. peace, love, dope. Yep.
2: That's right. Wearing
0: Birkenstocks. Yes. That's right. Yes.
2: Just going around being a nice guy and. You know, we talked the the other day about um, the fishermen mm-hmm. that he kept calling to be his disciples. Well, think about it.
1: There's a reason fishermen, why. I them.
2: Then they were big, buff guys pulling heavy nets out by hand, yep. full of fish, yep. full of water. Yep. Anything waterlogged is going to be heavy.
3: Yep.
2: Plus, pulling against it, mm-hmm. these guys were a buff. I don't know about you, but I don't know many construction workers mm-hmm. who, like, pay homage to little skinny guys They can't take them on.
1: Or a little skinny Jesus.
2: That's right. <laughs> That's right. And so, see, we've really done a disservice mm-hmm. in a huge way of letting anyone portray Jesus yeah. as anything but the man. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All man. Yeah. All man. Man. Well, I was, I, was, I was saying that, you know, mm-hmm. God is he's a meticulous and methodical thinker. It wasn't happenstance that he picked Joseph to be his earthly father. Nope. And Mary. Nope. He was a carpenter. Yep. And I was telling you all I learned when I went to Israel three years ago, that carpenters were not only working with wood, they work with stone. That's right. Because that's all that's over there. It's a lot of rocks. Wood's, a, wood's a, a rare commodity, plenty of stones and rocks. And so the first time they showed me a manger over there, I said, that's a manger. Things carved out of stone. He said, well, we're not saying we know your Western perspective is a mm-hmm. wooden manger. We're not saying they didn't exist. I'm just saying that anybody that worked with wood also worked with well, stone. Well, they
2: lasted longer, too. Yes, they Anything did. Anything made of stone yeah. is going to last a whole lot longer than something made
3: yeah. of wood. Like
0: and a- in that region of the world, wood is expensive. Yes. Mm-hmm. It is a very expensive commodity. Yes. Poor people did not have wooden furniture. Mm-hmm. They couldn't afford it, so what would they use? They would use the stone.
1: Yes. And the buildings that are there, um, the structures that still exist, you see the walls in many instances. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you just see the foundation. There's no roofs anywhere because the wood's not going to last. Well, you might have a petrified forest like you're in America where you've got that petrified wood that turns into stone, but that's a rare set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. Wood goes away.
2: So what I'm saying is... If we are called not only to be his disciples Mm -hmm. so that we can imitate him, we're supposed to be imitating everything about him, everything about him. Yes. And we can talk more about this. We've just got a minute left in this hour. But there's a reason why manhood has come under attack the same way that fathers have been really systematically removed from the home. Mm-hmm. That was a plan. Mm-hmm. And now it's like men are bad. And it's like, what? How can that be? So that you can't have these strong men.
1: And and nor can you have a strong family unit because of it.
2: And if you've got yeah. the church that is sitting there going, believing and spewing that that. Jesus was just as laid-back, do-nothing guy. <laughs>
0: right, but what does the Bible say to The first thing you need to do if you want to destroy a home, remove the man. Remove That's the strong right. man. Yeah.
2: That's mm. right. So anyway, this first hour has been kind of really interesting to me. I didn't know where we were going at all. But don't go away because we'll be right back with our brand new person at GLC. Yes. He's going to be part of us.
3: Yeah. <laughs> See ya.
1: You're watching Light of the Southwest, and we're back. And um, again, I have Miss Amy Cooper with me, and also the Reverend Ralph J. Chitham Sr. from Washington, D.C., and we're just having a wonderful time, wonderful time. Um, talking about uh, the truth of, um, of, of Christ and what it means to be a Christian and a Christian that participates in every facet of society being salt and light. So, Pastor Chittons, we want to throw it right over to you, sir, to talk with us a little bit about, and I know we covered this um, in our interview segment with uh, the uh, Isaiah Project, of um, the work that you're doing in Washington, D.C., and the need that you see to challenge the faith-based community to get involved with participating in the halls of governance with your um, launch of your new ministry effort, which is urbanred.org. Well, thanks for, uh, for mentioning that. Uh, there is
0: a decided lack of credible information mm-hmm. inside of urban America, mm-hmm. um, and especially inside of the black church, and here's where I'm going to get into trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the black church has become synonymous with one political party mm-hmm. and one political ideology. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that party's platform is the complete opposite of Christian faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But people have hitched their wagon to that party because that's where the money is. Right.
2: That's why I'm very, it doesn't matter what the party is, you better be voting biblical values because that's what god's going to hold you to
0: absolutely and it should, it should always be about principles and values and never party mm-hmm. exactly I mean, i would love to see a day when i could walk into a voting booth and look at a democrat's name and look at a republican's name and say i have a choice between two good, solid, Christian candidates. Look at all these things they stand for, Mm -hmm. right? Right, I I would love to to have that dilemma of choosing between two good candidates as opposed to having to choose between the lesser of two evils. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, my thing is, is we have had proof in the last couple of years that we got problems in both parties Mm -hmm. because nothing's getting done and it's very, very frustrating so I'm like, well, how, how do we go about getting people engaged enough, not just the voting, but people getting in there and running for offices, getting on school boards, and the different things where we can really affect some change? You have to
0: convince people that they can make a difference. I agree. Because too many people feel impotent. Yeah. They feel powerless. What, what can I do? Who am I? they control everything they have all the money you know they call all the shots we have to let people know no we can take the power back
3: according that to scripture, rightfully
0: well not according me and to jesus are according the to scripture majority. according to the constitution yes, you know so we we have everything on our side that's right and people just have to be educated to know that the power in this country resides with the people. The people. That's right.
1: Yeah. And not the masses, the individual. That's right. The difference between a democracy and a constitutional republic. A lot of folks miss that. It's the it's the power to the people, the, in, the individual. Say it again.
2: Dad always said you have to say something three times. The <laughs> difference between
1: what? The difference is they always say America is a democracy. And it's not. And it's, it's not. Good. It's a constitutional republic. It's the difference between the power of the masses versus the power of the individual. Mm-hmm. In a constitutional republic, it's the power of the individual that you, as one person, can make a difference. Difference because you have the power of your pen and the vote
3: mm-hmm.
1: to challenge the status quo and who's in power. And if you don't like that, you can bring about change. And if enough of you gather together into a group, you can affect change on a massive scale. And um, but today, there's just, just Mass hysteria and, 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 and mass. And, and I didn't understand this. I have to say, I got educated on the difference by folks like this gentleman here, those who are uh, uh, students of understanding. I can say his background is, <laughs> is in uh, a political science. And, um, and, and I get it now. And it's huge when you understand that, that take, takes place. Other nations are democracies.
0: That's right. But also, when you, when you realize that civics mm-hmm. has been taken out of the public school curriculum mm-hmm. going on now for the third generation yeah mm-hmm. so you now you have grandparents parents and now children who don't understand that this is a constitutional republic okay. they don't understand mm-hmm. that a pure democracy mm-hmm. is mob rule yes You know, and and just on the off chance that some of our viewers don't understand what what we mean when we say a pure democracy is mob rule, this is what happens under a pure democracy. A pure democracy says 50% plus one on any issue wins. Mm -hmm. So the three of us are sitting here on this set. Mm -hmm. The two of you decide that I don't need my cell phone. Oh, that only takes one. No, but (laughs) but I'm just... So the two of you Mm -hmm. vote. Right. Mm -hmm. I lose my cell phone. Right. Why? Well, that's democracy. Mm -hmm. More people voted to take my cell phone away from me than me voting to keep it. Mm -hmm. That's why our founding fathers understood that this country could not ever become a true democracy, right? What did Ben Franklin say when he, when he came out of the convention? He was asked, "What have we given you?" Mm-hmm. He said, "A constitutional republic, if, if you can keep, keep it.
1: it. That's right. That's right.
0: If yes, because they understood the pitfalls of what would happen if we went down the road of a pure democracy, which is mob rule. Which is, and mo- if you
2: don't think that we don't need." to do something about the education Mm -hmm. in the system, that statement that you just made about civics being Mm -hmm. removed Mm -hmm. from the curriculum for the third generation now, that's why nobody knows who we are.
0: That's why we have people now saying we need to do away with the electoral college. Do you not understand that if we do away with the electoral college, that presidential candidates will only campaign in maybe Ten states,
1: if, mm-hmm. if that many.
0: If that many, right. only the big ones. Right, if that many. Mm-hmm. But they may do ten just to hedge their bets, right? In case, well, if if I lose Ohio, yeah. then I can pick up Wisconsin. Yeah. you basically. But fifty, but forty of the fifty states. Wait, those people become look irrelevant. That,
2: look what has been happening in California. I have family in California, so I know for a fact there's some good people in California. Lonnie yes, has yeah. family in California. Yes, there's some really good people.
1: A lot of them looking to move now. I yeah, want you a know. lot of them.
2: But the thing is, is that you got a big, a big mess out there, yeah. and it's like, really, do you want the state of California to be choosing yeah. for you? No, Texas maybe, mm. but not California. And they're working on Texas.
1: And in, in California, you have it. Taking place um, in a microclimate where you have basically northern California and southern California dictating what the rest of the state does. Exactly. And and you've got a lot of people in um, you call it flyover America. There's a flyover California too um, in the central part of the state, but they don't have the numbers numerically. They don't have a population base. And so the L.A. Basin and San Francisco Bay Area are driving with all the wild, crazy policy that you see. Same thing is taking place on the nation. You've got New York, correct. You've got California on the West Coast throwing Connecticut and a few other states, and they'll be determining who's going to be running things from here on out.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. But the reason why you can, someone can put these arguments forward and they gain traction is because the American public is ignorant. Ignorant. That's right. I didn't say stupid. Mm. I said ignorant. Ignorant meaning that they just have not been taught. They do not know. Don't know. That's
2: why the truth is so important.
0: That's why the truth is so important. And that's why shows like this are so important. Because where are you going to have a show that's going to spend this much time on what some would consider to be an esoteric topic? George Stephanopoulos isn't going to talk about this for long, for more than a minute and a half. No. Well, first of all, George Stephanopoulos doesn't talk about anything that he doesn't read in front of him on a piece of paper. I was going to say. I don't think you
2: even talk about this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. But that's so. You know, shows like this become important because we will take the time, right, mm-hmm. to dig deep into issues like this, where somebody will go, "Wow, I never even thought about that before. Mm-hmm. That only." Well, honestly, eight states could swing an election. Mm Wow.
1: Wow. That's scary. Very scary. And we're close with the the agenda that's uh, uh, about where a good portion of the populace is willing to roll that dice Mm -hmm. and like that. Um, Mm -hmm. The popular vote, Donald Trump should not be president. I say, you don't understand the Electoral College, do you? And if it happens to be somebody with a darker paint job, I tell him, I say, do you understand historically, if there had not been for the Electoral College, what would have happened to folks who look like you and I? They don't know the history.
0: Well, black people have been lied to for so long, historically, mm-hmm. about everything. Yeah. Everything. That when it when <laughs> it it, I, it just it frustrates me. You know, when we, when you go back to the founding of the nation and you talk about that three fifths clause, ninety mm-hmm. percent of black Americans do not even understand
1: what that advice. did. Mm-hmm.
0: They say, oh, yeah, they said that we were three-fifths of a person. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what that clause did.
2: That, right. that, that little clause mm-hmm. saved America. Yes, yes. What it did. It kept, as a nation. Otherwise, the whole place would have been slavery. Although,
0: otherwise, the southern states would have had such an insurmountable yep. lead yeah. in representatives in the Congress, in the, in Congress mm-hmm. that they would have controlled everything. See, and that clause did not say that black people were three right fifths of a vote. person. Mm-hmm. They didn't it want said them. that for representation purposes. That's right.
2: So it wasn't giving the slaves the right to vote. It was just so that their owners could count them, mm-hmm. so that they could be counted.
1: Counted in the census, so that they could get, right. get the congressional more uh, representation, in Congress, so that mm-hmm. they could they could run the country. That's right. Yeah,
0: and and. And so, you have people who are completely uneducated. Yeah. They're ignorant on this issue. Mm-hmm. Some race baiting hustler mm-hmm. has fed them a narrative. They accept it as truth. They run around and they spread it and they teach their kids and their grandkids. And they're as wrong as two left shoes on a man with no feet. Mm-hmm. So, what are we doing about it? We take every opportunity we can, like on forums like this, yes. and we tell the truth. We go into, I mean, I shared the story with you last night about going to the barbershop yeah. and not being afraid to speak the truth in a hostile environment because the truth will win. When conservatives show up, when Christians show up unafraid and engage culture, we will win because we have the truth.
2: The thing that surprised me that you talked about was the issue of abortion. When you were talking to him in the barbershop,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that that was the thing that made men mm-hmm. go, What? Yeah. What?
0: That's the meeting place. Well, it, I'll, I'll tell the story so that okay. um, your viewers will, will know what we're talking about. Um, in the black community, the barbershop is is the hangout spot on Saturdays for for men. Right. You know, you're usually the same group that shows up every two weeks. You know, if you don't know each other by name, you definitely know each other by face. And, and a community develops. Well, my, my barber knows me, knows my politics, knows everything about me. And so he can't wait for me to show up because he wants to engage in a conversation. Legitimately, he, he wants to hear the viewpoint of someone who thinks differently than 99% of the people who come into his shop. Right? That he's listening to. Oh, right, ad <laughs> so I'm in the shop, and this is during the the, the lead-up to the presidential election in 2016. So he knows I'm a Trump guy, and I supported Donald Trump. And so we're having these discussions. And some of the guys in the barbershop are like, what? Do you support Trump? And they're like, why? And I was like, well, why not? And then I go talk about some things with Trump. And then I says, well, you guys supporting Hillary? They go, yeah. And then I said, well, you know Hillary Clinton supports the killing of babies up until the moment that they're born. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. I said, Hillary Clinton has stated that a baby, prior to being born, has no constitutional rights whatsoever. They're like, what? I said, she said that you can kill a baby at eight months and 28 days. And they were like, no she didn't. I was like, I don't want you to believe me. Go out, look it up for yourself, see you in two weeks. And so I was having this, this this is a rolling conversation. This wasn't just a a one-time deal. And every time I would have this conversation and I would run into some of the guys who I had previously spoken with, every last one of them said one of two things. One, okay, I'm gonna vote for Donald Trump. Or two, I can't go that far, but there's no way I can vote for Hillary Clinton knowing what she believes.
2: And but, this is why it's so important that individuals are speaking up.
0: Yes, yes. And and that's what I mean. We are the salt, we are the light. If we don't speak up, where's the salt coming from? Right. And if we don't speak out, where's the light going to come from?
2: How can we get more truth into the urban community though? Because they
0: are pretty particular about what they listen to. Just any chance you get to engage, engage. And honestly, it has to come from inside. Hmm it has to come from inside the community it has to come mm-hmm. from people who have built up some credibility inside of their community right it has to come from the church but but, but also from people in the church who have credibility you know as well as i do that too many black churches are helicopter congregations well, i agree a helicopter congregation means the pastor lives 20 miles outside and on sunday morning you see more cars with Maryland tags at the DC church Mm -hmm. than you see DC tags at the church. Mm -hmm. So these are people who helicopter into the community for a couple of hours on Sunday Mm -hmm. and maybe for Bible study on Wednesday and helicopter out and otherwise have absolutely no interaction with that community. That church is impotent. They're not gonna have any power to influence anything In that community. In that community. You have to have people who are living in that community, invested in that community. Everybody knows I'm a Republican. But when I go out, the fact that I'm a Republican isn't the leadoff. The fact that, okay, that's Ralph. He has been fighting with us to clean up the parks, to do this, to do that, to do the other. Oh, and he's also a Republican. Changing the order of identification mm-hmm. is critical. And that's why it has to come from people who are already, and there there are lots of people mm-hmm. in the community who have conservative values, mm-hmm. but they have been scared and intimidated into silence mm-hmm. because they know if they pop their heads out of the ground, just like in whack-a-mole, mm-hmm. they're going to get hit. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. And people don't like being hit. Pastor Mark Little is another one that, uh, Though he is uh, a Republican, has written a book called The Prodigal Republican. Which is excellent. Yes. Um, Has street cred in the urban community where he pastors because they say, as Ralph stated, well, he's done A, B, C, Mm -hmm. and D in reference to positive actions for the community. Oh, and by the way, he's a Republican. Right. Yeah, because, and so it's, huh? Really? Because he doesn't fit the stereotype. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, but going back to my previous point, and um, it, the pastors have to, and, and we have exactly what, what, what Ralph has described happening in many churches in America, many black churches in America, but at the end of the day, the pastors have to challenge the congregation. And, and if you have a pastor who's a good pastor, maybe a little timid, the leaders in the church challenge the pastor. It's not going to change. God set up this unique order of the church for a reason. Just as you stated prior, who's in charge of uh, taking care of the needy? It's the church it's not government and we already see what happens when government steps in and you know government is a nar uh, see, I can say this word a narcissist and he's a self-absorbed daddy the church must be the arm um that god is charged to disseminate social programs to the community when you have that with the pastors taking the lead it challenges the members of the community which many times are future pastors future civic leaders Senators, congressmen, business people, whatever they happen to be. But um, it's, it's the field generals that are supposed to challenge the flock. Who I am today is a direct result of how I was raised by my parents and whose feet I sat at in church on Sunday morning, that man with the robe on behind the pulpit. But the church, when they step up to do it,
0: they can't do it relying on their 501c3 government grant money. Yeah, we're going to say that's the other elephant in the room. That's the, right. So, the, some of the churches are doing it, but they're doing it with the government's money.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, anytime you use the government's money, it comes with strings. Sure. Behold, unto Caesar, you can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't. So you're not giving the help as the as the gospel as the Bible would dictate. Mm-hmm. You provide the help. Mm-hmm. You're providing the help based upon government rules and government regulations. You then become nothing more than a tool of the
1: government. Especially if there's a regime change. So like during the Bush years and faith-based programs were implemented, and many churches jumped on it, doing great works throughout America and much better at disseminating social programs than any government. But when there was a regime change, an ideological change, those same churches were under the thumb of, Having to dot every I and cross every T, or have their funding pulled, and so it for, forced these same pastors to cur- curtail their message from the pulpit.
0: Well, and a, a prime example um, I, f- I forget the name, but talk about regime change. Obama mm-hmm. came in, mm-hmm. and there was a, a program that would help nonprofits provide help in inner cities. Right. He added a provision that required any organization that received those monies had to be active in at least 35 or 40 states. Mm -hmm. Most of the conservative organizations aren't that big. Mm -hmm. They're in 15, 20, Mm -hmm. 25 states. They're the most. So therefore, all of these conservative Christian organizations, because of the regime change, no longer qualify for the federal grant money. Right. Guess who did qualify for the federal grant money? All of the left-wing socialist organizations. So our groups got frozen out, mm-hmm. and all the money went to the un-God crowd. Yep. That's what happens with a with regime change. Yeah. And so that's why the churches should not be reliant upon government money. No, it's not a good idea. No. It never is.
2: You know, what you were talking about, like Mark mm-hmm. T. Little being known mm-hmm. as this guy mm-hmm. in the community, and you being known as the guy who helped with this park thing before you're known as your title, that's actually a missionary can tell you mm-hmm. that's how you affect change. You yes. don't go in there and try to lead a starving person to Jesus, mm-hmm. right? You feed, you, them first. you feed them, you clothe them, you see what you can do to help them with their health care and, you know, right. this is what you do.
0: You, you, you and then meet
2: they're like, the why are you doing this? Yes. So that's right. That's always the
0: first thing. There and was, the church should be natural at that. Th- there was this young man in Washington, D.C., who was a, a speed skater. And phenomenal speed skater. And he had a chance to go to the Special Olympics mm-hmm. for speed skating. His family didn't have the money, so they went to the government, they went to government officials, they went to elected officials, they went here, they went there, They all this kind of stuff, nobody could do anything. This guy that I know knows the family. He picked up the phone, Ralph, this is what's going on, you have any ideas of what we can do to help? I didn't know this kid, didn't know the kid's family, but I knew my buddy. In less than a week, we had raised enough money to send this kid and his parents Parents, to the Special Olympics. Mm -hmm. Do you think that mother cares that the guy who helped her son's a Republican? No. She knows that a friend of hers contacted this dude on the phone Mm -hmm. at 8 o'clock at night who showed up 45 minutes later Mm -hmm. to speak with them, Mm -hmm. who put the vehicle in place, they grazed the money for her son to have the experience of a lifetime where he went and won gold medals. Mm -hmm. Wow. That has nothing to do with being a Democrat or being a Republican. Nope. So when somebody comes back and says to her, yeah, that dude, yeah, you know, he ain't nothing but a Republican, Well, you can say what you want but let me tell you that republican got my son and me to korea Mm -hmm. that's how you win hearts and minds you don't go out there you know waving your flag you go out there to help Mm -hmm. and the guy who called me to help that family has called me for other things this dude hates i mean hates with a capital h-a-t-e-s hates donald trump But he will call me in a heartbeat if there's something in the community that needs to be done, Mm -hmm. even though I support Donald Trump because he knows I care. Mm -hmm. And if it's legit, I will make the phone calls, I will raise the money, I will, you know, whatever connections need to be done to pull it off, I'm going to do because it's the right thing to do. Yes. That's how you get people to see the truth. You don't tell people that you care. You show them that you care.
2: Well, I think a lot of people can tell you that if someone has to tell you they're a Christian,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you better watch out.
0: Mm-hmm. That's their problem. Mm-hmm. You
2: better watch out.
0: Mm-hmm. Run, don't walk. Right. Flee. Yeah. And it sounds so simplistic, but it is.
1: Mm-hmm. Actually, it is. That's true.
0: It really is that simple.
1: hmm. Uh,
0: just just little things. Well, we, we have these snowstorms in D.C. that every once in a while just come in and just shut down the city. And when they do that, they rede- redeploy the police into different precincts because, you know, guys can't get to where they're supposed to go, so they send them around the city. So we had this snowstorm, and these police officers from another precinct came into our neighborhood, and wrote all these parking tickets. Okay, they wrote parking tickets for being parked on the snow emergency route. Okay, but that route was no longer a snow emergency route. Public works just had failed to take down the signs. Mm -hmm. So all these cars got parking tickets. So what do I do? I go up and down the street and collect every parking ticket off every car. Go into every business, get the parking tickets from every business owner, collect all the tickets, take them down, and got all the tickets removed. So now, yeah, that dude Ralph, man, that Republican dude. No, let me tell you, he <laughs> took care of a two hundred dollar parking ticket for me. Uh huh. Yeah. It's just, as Christians, what are we commanded to do? We are commanded to do the right thing, to step in and do the right thing when we have the power and the ability to do it do so.
2: Well, actually, we're commanded to be salt and light, right? But, That's- but what you're, some people are, we have this guy who teaches on this station, and he's not this big scholar scholar kind of guy, but he has a way of taking scripture mm-hmm. and helping you understand how that applies to your life. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what you just did, Ralph. Because what you are doing, although it doesn't seem that way right at first until you think about it, what you're doing is being salt and light. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Without ever saying a word, Mm -hmm. just go collect the tickets. And who would think that this is a way of
0: being salt and light, of doing. Right, of doing. Of of doing. doing. Right. You know, and you're, you talk about the, uh, the other gentleman. Uh, my wife and I, we use the phrase "put the cookies on the bottom shelf." Mm-hmm. What's that mean? It means that too many um, preachers, especially those of us who have gone on and gotten advanced degrees, we we want to show you how intellectual we are. Mm-hmm. No, we want to talk about soteriology, and we want to talk eschatology, and we want to talk hermeneutics, and everyone in the congregation is looking at. Yeah, what's that? What's he talking about? Yeah. Well, see, when you put the cookies on the bottom shelf, Got it. it means that you're taking all of those highfalutin ideas and you're breaking them down in such a way that everybody in the church can understand it.
2: And enjoy the cookies.
0: And enjoy the cookies because you've put the cookies where everybody can reach them. Mm-hmm. You've put the cookies on the bottom shelf. Mm. You know, one sermon that um, I've done a couple of times that the, the, the response is amazing, because I play tic-tac-toe in the pulpit, I get a bunch of kids to come up, and I play tic-tac-toe, and talking about sin, and and I call it the sin game. Mm-hmm. And the adults get more from that sermon than the children do, because the cookies are all the way at the bottom shelf. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, in tic-tac-toe, no one's no one should win the game. Right. If you have two people who know how to play, no one should win. Mm -hmm. So if no one can win, why bother playing? So, And that's what the ultimate lesson is. People get involved in sin because they think they can win. And you may wind up winning a a few games, but eventually it's gonna catch up to you, and either you're going to lose or you're gonna stop winning. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to sin, the only winning move is not to play. And so I go through this whole thing just with with a flip chart, with pens and paper and just play tic-tac-toe and and preach around tic-tac-toe. And every time I've done this, the response from the adults is just, it's staggering. They were like, that was so simple. I get it. Why should we play? We can't win. Mm -hmm. Put the cookies where everybody
1: can reach them. Well, that must be what Jesus did. When you think about his time on Earth, he told parables, and that's what a parable is. Uh He got it. It it was so that even I could understand the point he was trying to raise. Now, some
0: of the parables we don't understand
1: Uh, because they're not. Disciples
2: asked him later, "What does that
0: mean? What was that?" It's a little too deep for him. Yeah. (laughs) Mm
3: -hmm. But you're right.
0: The parables were a way of taking a a high thought. Yes and reducing it to the comprehension level mm-hmm. of the individuals that you're trying to reach. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. Your average citizen that's out
0: there. Right. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we have to do with, with, with our communications. I mean, we could sit up here and communicate at such a high level using no, SAT we would, words.
2: We'd, we'd get bored. <laughs>
0: <Right>. <laughs> but, but no one else would understand, or very few people would understand and we'd be talking to ourselves and we just wasted two hours of our lives that's right it
1: doesn't matter how smart you are if no one understands what's coming out of your mouth your ability to articulate your thoughts in a compelling way is something that um, i was taught from my youth and it dawned on me that that's one of the keys you know Mm -hmm. if you can if you can do Mm -hmm. that um it's not about five dollar words although i live in a city that You know, usually after folks names a whole lot of letters for all the degrees they have and and, and, and in the conversation at some point they are gonna let you know how many they have and what they're about Um, uh, And and, and so and I'm not wired that way Um, For one thing. I don't have all those degrees after my name And so things have to be distilled down for me in a basic way, so I try to do that in the radio show Okay, well I can go and talk about all this highfalutin stuff But let me break it down to something that the average guy including me Mm -hmm. can understand and I find that those uh, uh, using that tack, because uh, I t- tell stories on the show and I get teased about that, um, allows me to, I think, be more compelling and, uh, and, and get my thought across. And it also allows my guests, whoever they happen to be, uh, to be able to uh, uh, be more uh, uh, more compelling in, in what they're trying to get across. But you, you and I both know you get on some of these shows in D.C. and they sit there and talk. I'd be sitting at some of these things on Capitol Hill going, I have no idea what they're talking about
0: or you do understand what they're talking about and you just sit there and go, fool, shut up.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, because, and, and I'm not, again, I'm not gonna mention any names, but there are these guys that come on and they throw out all of these, you know, big highfalutin words and they're, you know, the, the um, a doctorate of philosophy at this university, or the, you know, the doctorate of political science at this university and doctor this and reverend that. and And you just sit there, and and you look at them, and we understand what they're saying. But it's like, who are you trying to impress? Mm -hmm. I mean, do you have such low self-esteem that you have to try to prove to everyone else how smart you are? Mm -hmm. What difference does it make that you use words that people are going, what does that mean? (laughs) And they're flipping through a dictionary instead of paying attention to what it is that you're saying. Right. No, I'd rather have people listen to me and understand. Now, we, you know we mentioned that I have, you know, the degrees and everything else because people do want to know, you know, your background and and stuff about you. Well, but what, you know I don't lead with that.
2: You know what I think is interesting about that because when I talked to Lonnie and he told me about your different degrees and stuff, I always go into that When the Lord was forming you in your mother's womb and he knew the calling that he was going to put on your life, it's like, so I'm going to direct him over here. He can Mm -hmm. get this degree and Mm -hmm. I'm going to direct him over here. He can get Mm -hmm. this degree. And when those two things intersect, he can do something for me. And that's what we all are supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. Something for him. Something that is making people look to God for everything in their life. And that includes the political spectrum.
1: Yes, yes, right. yes. Take yes, your it is.
0: Bible with you into, into your voting, voting booth,
1: mm-hmm. Pastor Mason Weavers. That's his quote.
0: No, I mean, th- 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 how how are you going to vote for someone who believes completely opposite of everything you claim to believe?
2: Why would you want them making decisions that are going to affect your life or the life of your children? Even worse.
1: Right. And, and you choose he or she simply because they look like you.
2: hmm Or you're Easy. familiar with the or, or, name.
1: Or
0: because of yeah. an animal. Yeah. Because of a donkey or an elephant. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's stupid. It's it's absolutely, it's completely stupid. You mm-hmm. know, I've, I've, asked, I've, I've asked all the time, would I ever vote for, for a Democrat? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, it's a possibility. I haven't found one yet. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, but if there's one, um, the woman in Louisiana. Yes. Um. State rep in Louisiana who's a pro-life Democrat. If I were in Louisiana, I would have to take a serious look at her. Mm-hmm. Why? Because she holds a
1: value. Mm-hmm. We need to be lifting her up in prayer. By the way, right. mm-hmm. You know, it's like <laughs> one, one
0: thing that Lonnie always she's says. Coming,
1: uh, an onslaught against her because right. of, yeah, of the party. see, that's
0: just
2: it. Now, mm-hmm. what? She's coming. She's getting an onslaught against her from the party. From the
1: party leadership.
2: Because mm-hmm. of. She is willing to stand up yeah. and say, No, I'm pro life. Yeah. Right. This is
1: wrong. It's not the rank and file that are giving her grief. It's the leadership. Because right. the leadership is the one that made the decision. You know, one one
0: thing that Lonnie says all the time is, No, my brothers and sisters are not the ones who share my paint job. Mm-hmm. My brothers and sisters mm-hmm. are not necessarily the ones who share my paint job. They are the ones who share my values.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Those are my brothers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and That's right. those are my sisters. Mm-hmm.
3: That's right.
0: And and that's where we should be. Yeah, it, this is a values fight. This is a morals fight. This is a right and wrong fight. This is
2: a biblical fight. This right. is a, a, a of epic proportions. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the the fight to defend what the word of God says. Yeah, and it translates
0: yeah. into everything. And you know,
1: there's there's some people that you that you are going
0: to lose. Mm-hmm. That know, used
1: to bother me. It doesn't anymore i don't know if i've gotten tough skin or what
2: you know but also by the same token lonnie Mm -hmm. there will be some people you lose Mm -hmm. but you you just keep praying for them because what happens is that sometimes you see those people come back yes when they have learned a little bit more and then they're like oh my gosh that was the truth and i didn't recognize it at the time And I was so angry at you. And you know what happens? They love you even more for being willing to speak the truth even though you know you risk losing their friendship, losing their viewership, losing their support because the truth is that important. Mm -hmm. And so then they really love you when when they, they finally get it and they're like, wow.
1: Yeah, I had okay. to come to terms with that and, yeah. and, and figure out and, and got, not get my ego in it that I didn't reach that person. We're
2: not allowed to have egos.
1: Amen. Our job is to plant seeds. That's right. And when I got that, I said, okay, I get it now. So whether you, oh, thank you, I see the light, or you just, ah, get out of here, I don't care what you say. Mm-hmm. I have learned when you plant yeah. seeds, they do come to fruition mm-hmm. in due season. Right. And oftentimes but, by but, somebody that you, you will never meet. Right, but in act, what does it say?
3: hmm
0: says one plants, one waters, one waters, but God gets the increase. The harvest. It belongs to the Lord. The That's planter right. yeah. may never see it. That's right. The waterer may never see it, yeah. mm-hmm. but God eventually is going to get that increase.
2: And what that tells us is that it takes everybody doing whatever their part is. You know, right. sometimes when I'm talking to, to some people, I'm the planter. Sometimes I'm the waterer.
0: Sometimes I'm the harvester. Sometimes I'm the fertilizer. Yeah. <laughs> Very good.
2: <laughs> Very good. But that shows us that it takes all of us. Yes, yes. Because someone else has done this. Yeah. Then God can bring some fruit out yeah. of
1: this. Right. And, and that's why within social media, um, that yeah, get a lot of heat. You know, folks want to debate on different things. But I'm just saying, my job is to plant seeds. And even when they get my anger rankled, you know. I know what the word says, righteous indignation is fine, but uh, you can be angry, but sin not. It keeps me in that mode of being, okay, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a planter of seeds. I'm just planting as many as I can. And when people come to you, and praise God, it happens sometimes, say, you know, there's one in Mississippi, in fact, I, I, I won't mention his name. And when he would, I mean, he would argue me down, it would just get vicious. And I said, uh, well, I'm not gonna do it. No, I'll continue on. And one day he says, you know, I see what you're saying. I'm not saying I agree with you on every item, but I do understand where you're coming from, and I think you're right. I nearly teared up, because this guy was just, he was, you know, you're this, you're that. I won't even use all the names and the words and so forth, but I kept planting seeds. And I know what happened. Somebody else talked to
3: him Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that I'll never even meet or know. That's right. Mm -hmm. And was able to be that one that when the Holy Spirit moved.
2: But only because you did it God's way. Yep. Yep. You know?
1: That's so true. Because mm-hmm. if you don't do it God's way, you end up adding insult to injury.
0: hmm <laughs> And then, you know, and if we do lose people, God will replace. Uh-huh.
2: That's right.
0: I met you. hmm If I hadn't been doing what God had wanted me to do mm-hmm. and done the things and said the things that God wanted me to say, we would have never connected. Mm-hmm. So if you do lose, God will replace. Because God is a God of increase.
2: Yes. And also his gifts and his callings are without repentance. He never changes his mind. He's like, I specifically raised you up for this task. I specifically raised you up for this task. Mm -hmm. And I'm not changing my mind about that. Right. If you guys will just do what I've asked you to do, and trust me, just keep your eyes on me (laughs) no matter what what you see.
1: This is where rubber meets yeah. the road. That's the one that uh, I struggle with at times.
2: Everybody does. Make,
1: it's like I make tremendous advancements. I'm there. I have arrived. <laughs> I get it now. I'm
2: never going to go through that again. And Thank then, you, Lord Jesus. And
1: then 15, yeah. 20 minutes yeah. later, I'm like, oh, Lord, how are you going to be there for me? Yeah. I don't
0: know. Well, what's, what's that game show with um, Vanna White? Oh, With the wheel? Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. Wheel of Fortune. You know, sometimes I feel like I'm a contestant on Wheel of Fortune when I'm dealing with God. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, look, Lord, can I buy a vowel? (laughs) (laughs) Can can, can I have a clue? You know, and he's like, stay the course. Yeah. Mm Do what I told you to do. Sometimes he just be wants faithful. us to
2: be still and know that he's God. Right. That's all he wants. Yeah.
0: And sometimes we want to buy that
1: vow. <laughs> right. And he says no. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, patience. He's teaching us patience when he does that. Yeah. And uh, like that old adage, and, uh, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, crying out to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, please give me patience. And then I had a wiser person than me.
2: Don't ever ask for Don't that. Don't ever
1: ask that, Lonnie. You're going to get say, it yeah. anyway. You're going to get patience. You know how you're going to get it? I said no. I like he said trials and tribulations. So I said oh, me, that's right. Let me, let me hold up. I got enough of that going on right now. We're good, Lord. I'm just gonna trust you. <laughs> that's it. No more trials and tribulations. Oh boy, that is so very true. Um, this Christian walk that we're on is like nothing else I've ever experienced. Now I was raised in church. Knew the Lord from a very young age. Just had a kind of an understanding that he was there even before I understood it was in the Word of God. Um, I don't know what that is. I just, it's always been with me. But as I get older and begin to see him in terms of how he moves and things, Mm -hmm. I'm like a little kid at Christmas, you know, looking to open up the gifts to see what's the next great thing um, for mom and dad or Santa Claus, as it were, when we were coming up. I knew there was no Santa Claus from the time I was about. 9, 10 years old, but I continued it on anyway, because I just enjoyed it. And you the, get stuff, <laughs> and it's fun. <laughs> you get stuff, and the fun that was associated with not even so much the receiving of the gifts, but the giving, which is what my parents were teaching me, the giving and the to watch the look on mom and dad's faces or on the faces of my siblings. And I tell you, being a Christian is the most amazing <laughs> thing.
2: Okay, so when we're talking about this faith walk,
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and this isn't so much about how we see God. That is a part of it. But what I'm learning, it's more about how God sees me. Mm -hmm. And how do I see that God sees me, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because... He actually sees us, if if the blood of Jesus mm-hmm. covers every sin that was ever, ever done, you're talking garden to the end, mm-hmm. every sin, God sees me as perfect. Mm-hmm. He sees me like he saw Adam and Eve mm-hmm. before the fall. Mm-hmm. Is there anything he would withhold from me? Mm-hmm. No. No. Will he move heaven and earth to do anything for me? Will he always make sure that my needs are met? Yep. Yeah. He will. Yeah. So it's a combination of how we see God, but how we see that God sees us. Yes. And what that blood of Jesus actually did for us, because it was the game changer.
1: It was when I when I fi- when I when figured out when it hit me. What the blood of Jesus meant, and again, I like to tell parables and stories to make it where I can understand it. And so some of my uh, uh, friends and pastors and what have you um, coined this phrase is that the blood of Jesus is the thing that dif- separates you from the, the wiles of hell. And so it's like being at a zoo And he had a great, big, ugly, mangy lion, and he's growling, and he's intimidating, and his breath stinks, and you can smell him. He's right there. Um, But you're not moved emotionally by him, although all your senses say that you should. And you're not moved because there's bars between you and him, and those bars are the blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. When that got in my spirit, there's a boldness that comes from that. Mm -hmm. So the thing that I had to be cognizant of is the thing I have to watch out is do not let Satan and his machinations scare you to the point where the blood's got you covered, you're good to go, but he can scare you and make you run out in the street and get hit by a car. Mm-hmm.
0: But too many churches don't even preach about the blood anymore. They don't. It's, it's all about prosperity. Live your it's best all life now. about, exactly. It's, it's what I call slot machine theology. <laughs> you know, you, you go to church on Sunday, you pray, boom, you pull the lever, you expect to leave the church and God's going to pay out. Yeah. They don't talk about the blood, the power. The power of the blood. In the blood. Yeah.
2: I know, I was shocked when I heard that most churches have removed their crosses from their sanctuaries. Oh, yeah. I'm like, why yeah. would you do that?
1: Yeah. I'd, because I'd,
2: you got to make it modern and attractive to people. Relative. Well, was it that you told me and it, it was that man you mentioned a little while ago, mm-hmm. the, the gospel is what it's, um, confrontational, oh, or
1: Pastor Mason Weaver. Yeah, he said Christianity was an offensive religion. Exactly. First time he said I went, Huh? He said, Oh yeah, it's very offensive. I said, In what way? He says, Think about it. It's the only religion that confronts you to make a choice, mm-hmm. and whether you choose or not is beside the point. If you don't choose, you've <laughs> chosen. Um, <and> I said, <laughs> I, I, and I hadn't thought about it that way. He said, Oh yeah, Jesus was very, uh, very offensive. Right. And then you start I reading am the Bible differently. The way. Yeah. The truth
0: and the life. No one comes, to the, comes to the Father, but by me. By me. Yeah, that's offensive yes. to everyone who's not a Christian. Yep. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, you're a pastor. Why did they stop teaching about the blood of Jesus?
1: Ooh, good because
0: they, it it became. See, now you're asking another historical question. <laughs> Uh, because the church moved away from, from because the church moved away from its historical teachings and moved towards a social philosophy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. right, right now, people are talking about this um, prosperity theology. Mm-hmm. Well prosperity theology came found its roots in Black liberation theology mm-hmm. which found its roots in marxist theology out of south america this is all about redistribution of wealth and resources having poor people get resources from rich people to create equity and equality here on earth but has absolutely nothing to do with salvation in christ Mm -hmm. so when you have now this Marxist theology out of South America came started back in the fifties, mm-hmm. found its voice in black liberation theology in the 60s and 70s, which is now morphed into this prosperity theology. Now you now you're looking at again three generations where people are not being taught about the power of the blood. Mm-hmm. They're being taught that he who has the most gold wins. Yeah. And um, one of my professors in seminary, she said, and this was for me, it was so simple and yet so profound. If you preach a gospel that cannot be universally accepted, you are preaching a false gospel. Mm -hmm. So if you're preaching a prosperity theology, which says that you're poor, because you're not holy enough. Mm -hmm. If you are holy enough, God will bless you. He will open up the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings that there will not be room enough to receive. Can you preach that gospel in Namibia? Can you preach that gospel in Southeast Washington? Mm -hmm. Can you preach that gospel in Appalachia and have it be truthful to those communities? The answer to that question is no. Therefore, if you're preaching a gospel that is not universally true, you are preaching heresy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's just that plain and it's just that simple and I'm sure someone's gonna write you a letter (laughs) and complain about what I just said But I will sit down with that individual across the table with a cup of coffee and we can have a discussion because the gospel of Jesus Christ is universal. Mm -hmm. Its truth spans the globe. Mm -hmm. It transcends male, female. It transcends nationalities. It transcends languages. It transcends economics. The gospel of Jesus Christ is true to everyone regardless of station, place, in life at the same time. Mm. You know, just the other day, um,
2: for some crazy reason, the Lord was showing me uh, a side of the scripture that says God hates a haughty look. Mm-hmm. It actually tied to our discussion on words and words being so important right. and words devastating people, you know, especially when you're a kid and you're hearing things that should never be said to you. And you, you live with that all your life. But then all of a sudden there's so I'm thinking about that, and then God hates a haughty look. Well, why? Because the haughty look makes you think that you're above that person. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, without the words, it makes that person feel less. Mm -hmm. So God hates a haughty look. So what you're saying is absolutely true, even to the point of where the gospel is universal for everybody. Mm -hmm. There's nobody, God God loved King David, well, why did he love him? Because he repented. Mm-hmm. It's not because he did everything right. Mm-hmm. He didn't.
0: No. Well, the biggest heroes in the Bible was the did ups. some of the most, <laughs> right, did some of the most egregious things. Yeah, yeah that's it. Like, But it gives me
1: hope because yeah, well, if exactly. he can love it, then there's hope for me. Hallelujah, I <laughs> yeah. can be a good one. Yeah, right, it, it's yep. so very, very true. Mm-hmm. Man, at least I'm not David. <laughs> I didn't do what he did. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that, you, you, you really touched on something, because when I came to terms with the part that I played in an abortion, you know, that was a heavy burden. I mean, I was just I and, 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 and the Lord waited until I was mature enough to understand it. For a long time, it was just buried, and I went along with life. But I had, I had some events that took place that brought it home. When it hit close to home because of a family member who died, because of not being able to forgive herself for it. Um, Then I came full circle and said, oh my God, what have I done? But because I was a part of a church and in a ministry that made you read the Bible, I knew about David. When I really thought about some of the things David did, Bathsheba and other things, I said, wow. and And God himself said that David was a man after his own heart. The only person he ever said, I I never read that any place else in the Bible. I know Jesus said that there was none like um, John the Baptist, so Jesus was very fond of his cousin John. But God said (laughs) that David was a man after his own heart. It put things in perspective about forgiveness and redemption and the love that he has for even someone
0: like me. Mm -hmm. And something that also we really, I don't think it's stressed enough, is the church needs to stress to individuals they need to forgive themselves. Yes. Exactly. Because people will forgive others, but when it comes to forgiving their own faults, uh-huh. their own slips, people are hard on themselves and they carry such a personal baggage okay. of guilt and weight.
2: Okay. That <laughs> they when to- that happens and you are carrying something that, you're just not forgiving yourself for something Mm -hmm. it makes you completely ineffective in the kingdom yes because you can't i'm i'm so bad i've done so many horrible things i've been divorced 50 times all of these horrible things i can't Mm -hmm. i can't Mm -hmm. because of this right that's a lie of the enemy yes of
0: course it is but that isn't stressed in my opinion that isn't stressed enough that's right you know people learn god god will forgive he's Mm -hmm. faithful to forgive but the key ingredient is you need to forgive yourself and you better
2: do it or you're never going to be an effective tool in the hand of god yes and that's our responsibility
1: you'll always be hamstringed
2: always man this has been a fast two hours yes, today yes. Right? we run out of time <laughs> i know so i,
0: I Pastor, just have a question yes okay
2: well you got 30 seconds
0: um, can i come back
2: <laughs> i was gonna i was i was just gonna say you know what i i really pray that you come back because this has just been fabulous you found a good one bonnie yeah, everyone's yet another keeper yeah
1: it's blind like, chicken gets a the cord every night <laughs> again.
2: <laughs> so you've just really been a blessing, mm-hmm. and um, it's a blessing to have you co-hosting with me, Lonnie. Cool. I just love it. Thank you, Amy. So thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you were blessed. I hope you learned something, and um, I think you're. I, I hope you're as grateful to the Lord for GLC as I am. See you next time.
1: program is brought to you exclusively by the love gifts and offerings of our faithful partners. Thank you, partners.